No, I just went to, um, I actually only pulled three different things. Um, and I don't know which order to do them in, so I'll just, uh, the first one I pulled is number one, second one I pulled is number two, third one I pulled is number three. Got it. Pick one through three. Oh, me? Uh, two. Two, okay. Number two is, it's a quiz that I found by John Acuff. You know who he is, right? Uh, his name sounds familiar, but remind me. John Acuff is the guy who wrote Chris, Crazy Things Christians Do, or he has that website or that blog. Oh, that okay. I can find out. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, that sounds familiar. I'm sure I've read. Anyways... There's a quiz, and can you pull out your phone and keep score? Sure. Because it's a quiz for your church. Okay. Stuff Christians like. I just had to Stuff look Christians it up. Like. Yeah, I knew what you were talking about. Yeah. That, okay. That's a that's a good blog. All right. All right. I'll, I'll read the first uh, paragraph. If I see you using an iPhone during church, I assume you're playing Angry Birds, or Temple Run, or Plants vs Zombies. I'm guilty of two out of the three. <laughs> I have done two out of the three. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just how I was raised. I don't assume you're looking up the Greek root word for the particular idea. I don't assume you're taking sermon notes. I don't assume you're giving direction to your seat to a friend in the lobby. I assume you're tweeting about how much you love your raw denim jeans and your toms and your unnecessary scarf. That's when you wear a scarf with a short sleeve t-shirt. I could do a podcast by itself on my aggravation with scarves and unnecessary scarves. <laughs> Did you see the Grammys with, who was it? It was um, Johnny Depp. He had like four scarves on. Oh yeah, no, I do recall it now that you say like, it. I, it didn't aggravate me. He had like two scarves on and then he had like a scarf around his waist with another, like, I don't know if it was a emergency scarf in case one of the two scarves on top <laughs> fell off. But, but, but Johnny Depp is, is practically French. And so I just, <laughs> <laughs> I give him some leeway. Scarves a French thing? <laughs> I don't know. But the French always make strange decisions. Anyways. Scarves is a whole other topic. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm an old-fashioned. Maybe I'm a, a paper man in a fiber-optic world. Times have changed, and churches have jumped into the world of technology with both feet. If you're a fan of these modern times, how do you know if a church is tech-savvy enough for you? Easy. Use the scorecard, the tech church scorecard. Okay. Cold from years of research and... Sorry, I just had to open that. No, you're good. Nobody's listening. <laughs> Cold from years of research and statistical anal analysis, that would make your teeth hurt if we dare describe it. The scorecard is the most accurate tech-savvy guide for any church that's ever seen. Use it at your leisure to determine if your church you're attending possesses the digital acumen your touchscreen heart is looking for. Mark the points that apply to your church, then add up your score and see how it fares. Okay. Okay, so I'm scoring our church, not us individually. Scoring our church, yeah. All right, I'm ready. Before we do it, how do you think we stand? Um, I would say we're 
middle of the road by choice. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say middle of the road. Yeah. I think that we are tech savvy, but that we don't intentionally don't go overboard with it. I agree. All right, I'm ready. The bulletin has a URL printed on it. <laughs> yes. We don't have a bulletin. Oh, we don't have a bulletin. The bulletin is gone. You're right. And the first five questions are all about the bulletin. Oh, no. <laughs> we do have that visitor's card that I put out. Though, Should we go has... off of our old bulletin? or I say we just refer back to the old bulletin. All right. Okay. Um, in that case, yes. Okay. The bulletin has the pastor's Twitter handle printed on it. No. Facebook, no. The, the church is not the pastor's. Should I rake Sozo alongside? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do just, I mean, not in, not to prove a point. I mean, not for any reason other than just in comparison. Right. I assume there's Sozo a yes. Sozo does have Twitter on it. Uh, the bulletin has Pinterest listed on it. No. Sozo, Sozo, I believe, does. I'm almost positive they know. I know they have it on their website. Hmm. I would assume they have it on their website. I didn't know bulletin. you could have a corporate pin Pinterest account. Uh, the bulletin has Google Plus listed on it. No. Sozo? I don't think Sozo does. The bulletin lists HTTP with every URL. No. Oh. Oh, never mind. Let me go back, okay? The bulletin has URL on it is one point. All right, which you mm -hmm. already did. The bulletin has the pastor's Twitter handle on it, which is two points. Oh. So that's an extra point for Sozo. The bulletin has Pinterest listed on it, which is three points. I'm not positive, and for three points, don't do it. Because okay. I'm not 100% positive. The bulletin has Google Plus listed on oh, it, wait, which is negative on. one point. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question though. Is this cumulative or is it a total? Like, do you get three total points if you have Pinterest, or do you get an, three points in addition to all of the other points that you've already collected? Does that make sense? You just add three points to your score. Okay. Does that answer? Yeah. So, like, it's so, worth three points, not cumulative. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, Standalone. Okay, so uh, wait. Um, Pinterest, no. What was the next question after Pinterest? The Bolton has Google Plus Google listed Plus. on it, which is negative one. We don't have that. Sozo, do you know? I don't know. Okay. The Bolton had the Bolton list HTTP with every URL, which is minus two points, and I almost uh, think we did that. No, no, no. I didn't. didn't. I never did that. John might have. I never did that. So that's minus two points if you put HTTP on it. All right. What's HTTP stand for? Do you know? I know the P is protocol. It's. I know what the HT stands for. What is it? Hypertext. Hypertext. Something protocol. Something protocol, yeah. Um, I, the only time I ever put an HTTP is if I put like a raw link in, in an email where I'm just copying and pasting a link to something. Yeah, me too. But I actually, most of the time, I don't. I don't put the raw link. I usually create a hyperlink button. Anyways, go Here ahead. Here we go. Number six. The bulletin isn't printed on paper. Instead, the ushers hand out iPads for everyone. 
Is that even a thing? Mm. How many points do you get for that? Ten. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. Unless you had a church of like ten people. But a and church of a ten of people couldn't afford that. Yeah. The church offers free Wi-Fi. Yes. Plus one point. So as it does. You enjoying your apple pie bite there, John? <laughs> Those things are good, aren't they? I gotta stop eating them on the microphone. Here we go. Here's a good question. Members of the church know when, which parts of the sanctuary offer the best Wi-Fi signal. Yes. Plus three points. I would say yes for Sozo. I would they really don't have many members of the church. I just know that on the left side of the room is Wi-Fi. Well, there you go. You count in that case if, you, yeah. if you've already learned. I don't know if anybody else knows. And it's not the sanctuary in our case. It's which parts of the building mm-hmm. where it drops out. We all know the foyer is a dead yeah. spot. <laughs> A countdown clock lets people know when church is about to start, plus one point. Hmm. We have a countdown clock, but I usually forget to turn it on. So <laughs> I think we, we should, we should yeah. probably count one point. And so is a de- I know has a countdown. You can give your offering via an ATM in the lobby. No. Neither. But I How know many churches points? that do. Yeah, I know a lot That's of churches. Two, two points? Only mm-hmm. two points, huh? Mm-hmm. That means it must be relatively common these days. Instead of an offering basket, they pass around an iPad? No. That's, That's one point. That would be silly. You can give your offering via a square debit card reader attached to the back of each seat in the sanctuary. That's a great idea. That's awesome. Except that that means that your seats have to be wired to something, which is weird. And that's probably a joke anyways, but no. I bet there's something there, though. Like, you know, the iPad readers? Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could hand those out. Like, mm. We could set up, a, instead of an ATM station, we could set up a... Play with your phone. A, a debit, like on our, our iPad or something, set up a, a debit kiosk. <laughs> the church has satellite campuses? No. The church has hologram campuses <laughs> in which the pastor appears via an... Obi-Wan kind of setup. No. That'd be cool. This lobby smells like vanilla and sandalwood because they're experimenting with scent technology as a way to enhance the experience. Sozo, yes. Really? Yeah. How many points? Three. Uh, not vanilla and sandalwood, but they they pump stuff in the air. I've and thought it, about it, but I've never gone that far. I've, they've, I've sprayed air freshener. That's to their that. defense, they do it because it's another person's church and it smells. Bad. Well, you, sure, sure. Yeah, especially if you're, I mean, I shouldn't have even raised that. I was going to say if you're in an old person's church. I just, I meant an old building that yeah. has kind of musty, funky we smells. Know you, we know what you mean. <laughs> the <laughs> church me. has a website. Forgive me. One point. One point. Yeah. The church website has been updated within the last <laughs> six months. The church name includes .tv. Nope. Two points. Nope. The church website features a flash introduction during 
which an image of the church steeple spins slowly to the sound of audio of our God is an awesome God. No. Apple laptops are propped open on stage during the worship set, plus one point per laptop. No. No, but if I have to run sound from the front, it might happen sooner or later. <laughs> Everything the church prints on it has a QR code on it. Yes, that's true, because well, I only print one thing. One. Yeah. <laughs> no one at the church has actually used the QR codes because they don't know how what QR codes are. <laughs> Negative two points. <laughs> we don't have to take those points off because my kids do it all the time, <laughs> even though they know exactly what it says. Okay. <laughs> so people in the church do like, use it. <laughs> Sermon series have their own unique URL. No, not no. either that I know. Individual sermons have their own unique hashtags. Tom, yes. Really? Mm -hmm. See, that's a level of thought, like preparation in advance. That I'm just, I just don't. I can't even come up with titles for my sermons. Sermons can be purchased on cassette tapes. Negative three points. No. Ushers have tasers. No. The ushers are robots, like the ones Amazon used to pull books off warehouse shelves as fulfillment centers. Sermon notes are shown via an overhead projector. No, ours on Craigslist. The wait, wait, what? Oh, overhead projector. Sorry. Okay. I thought I, I was thinking projector. Not. Got it. The pastor uses a flat screen TV on a stand to illustrate his points. Nope. I'd like to know what they mean by that. The like church, I've seen it. You know like a touch saying? screen kind of deal? No. Just like, almost looks like the news. Like, you ever seen like a pastor have like... Like a ticker? A TV, like they'll have a couch and like a TV and all the notes are on the TV as he's talking. No. You know. I'll, Not I'll cool find enough. something on YouTube and show you. Uh, <clears throat> I bet Ed Young Jr. uses that. The church has a full-time tech person on staff? Nope. No. All the church's tech needs are handled by a high school son of the church secretary? No. Pretty close. It's negative points. Kids are tagged in a Sunday school with a... Kids are tagged in Sunday school with a bracelet so their parents can pick them up after church. No. Kids are tagged in Sunday school with an Olive Garden type pager system. Kids are tagged in Sunday school with a small GPS receiver placed behind the right ear. The pastor preaches from an iPad. I don't even do that. Yeah. The pastor, you know who does that? Every other Foursquare pastor that John I know. John Booker, yeah. I've seen John Booker. Yeah, no. It, I've realized the last few Foursquare conventions I've gone to that the two defining characteristics of a Foursquare pastor are that they hold an iPad and they're bald or balding. <laughs> That's like the Foursquare look. <laughs> the pastor preaches from a pair of Google glasses. Nobody uses Google glasses. Instead of robes, the choir wears tight-fitting gray unitards like the ones people wear in every movie you've ever seen about the future. No. The pastor has a blog. Sozo. The pastor uses Tumblr instead of a blog. I use Tumblr. The pastor encourages 
you to tweet his sermon while he preaches. Tom has it written on the thing, but he never says anything about it. So yeah, and we occasionally not, have people that do that, but it's not um, it's not encouraged. Oh, I shouldn't have given that point, huh? I've never encouraged it specifically. The church shows a live Twitter stream on screen during the sermon. No. The church website has been under construction for seven years running. <laughs> the cork I know some that have been. <laughs> the cork bulletin board in the lobby is updated more often than the website. The church has its own green screen for shooting videos. That would be awesome. The church adopted Twitter so early it didn't have to add the to its Twitter handle, e.g. it's Grace or at Grace City Church instead of the Grace City Church. A group of people from church work hard to be mayor of it on Foursquare. I've never used the Foursquare web website, that Foursquare. Mike does, and I know Mike wanted to be like the mayor of here or something like that. Oh, he wants get to be point. mayor of police. It's three points. Oh. We'll take it. <laughs> it may not be true. I know. <laughs> we're falling. I know Mike is, well, at least at one time was avid with Foursquare. And I would assume that he would become mayor here because nobody else would fight him on it. Yeah. Add him up. I don't even know what Foursquare really does. Do you? I, I mean that Foursquare, not... That's it, huh? What's the scores? We have 11. If you count the three points, we snuck in at the end there. And then Sozo has 14. We fall. The, the scores are broken up between 0 and 20, 21 and 50, and 51 and 75. Oh, man, so we're way at the bottom. Huh? And 76 plus. So there's four. Out of the four, we're both at the zero. Your pastor refers to the Internet as the World Wide Web, and the elders aren't convinced the church needs to waste money on the web, this website trend. <laughs> it's all hymns all the time, and if you ever use your iPhone at church, people think you must be some sort of astronaut. Not true. That's I just funny. Think that, I think that it's a test fault because it revolves around Twitter and we use Facebook as a church. So we missed out on a bunch of points. Yeah, yeah, but but Facebook is falling behind in that regard. Mm -hmm. It's not cutting edge tech savvy. And I think, I guess that Tom experiments a little bit more, but I would assume that they kind of have the same philosophy that you can't be too overt about those things either. Mm. Otherwise it, it becomes gimmicky and it begins to detract from what yeah. you're trying to do. And that's not accounted for in a test like that. Of course that, you know, the intentional of, uh, omissions of certain things. The highest level is 76 plus points. And the name of it is lifechurch.tv level. You embarrassed NASA with the amount of technology you control. You created not just one of the most popular Christian apps, but one of the most popular apps of all time. You have the plans for the future that make the list look silly. You think Google is out of date. You are so far ahead of the game that you, sir, are lifechurch.tv, and we love you. Interesting. Yeah. All right. You pick number two out of one, two, and three. What now? 
Number one. Number one. <clears throat> well, I just wanted to talk about the Pope and what's going on with the Pope. Um, Today's his last day. Yeah, which he already did his last speech. Right, sure. Today, because of the time difference. Yeah, and so on. Um, have they? Well, and I'm just going to ask you questions. Cause I think you know about it. Have they found a new pope? No. In fact, the process won't even start until I think Friday. At the earliest. And the process could take a long time, right? It takes a few days, but what they do is they get every cardinal of a certain rank and they lock them in the Sistine Chapel. They actually put it like a chain on the door and they're not allowed to leave until they've selected. But I heard this year there's something like a hundred different cardinals that are all eligible. And so it's going to be, they expect that it'll be a protracted decision because of the sheer number of, of people that could be, um, could be nominated. Protracted was, I mean, drawn out, but I mean, they're, they get locked in. I, I, I suppose they get food and water. I don't, don't really know, but they can't leave the room until they've determined who the guy will be. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a process. In fact, most of what I know about the process comes from Dan Brown's book, angels and demons, <laughs> because the whole, the whole pr plot of the story revolves around the selection of a, pr of a Pope. You have to be a man too. I heard a couple interviews just this morning with women's groups who are advocating for at least a woman's voice in the process because at nowhere in that process, because the, first rule of being a priest is that you're a man who mm -hmm. remains celibate. So at no level is there any female voice. And um, in this day and age, it seems old fashioned at best to, yeah. to hold on to that. that. Whole process seems old fashioned. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's all kinds of old fashioned that gets thrown into that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's interesting too. Like there's a lot of female, Catholics, there's a lot of nuns. There's a lot. Of, there's a strong female presence in the Catholic Church, and yet, and yet, they have maintained their position. That I think historically, the Pope had great influence, and I mean, everybody knows this, but greaterian influence. Oh my even. gosh! I mean, they were. I mean, they could be more influential of a king than a, or a yeah. And in the, in the Dark Ages, in the oh. Middle Ages, they were they were easily the most powerful person in the world. Yeah, like that was they uh, they were very powerful, um, but not anymore, really, are they? I mean, compared to no, I don't think you could be these days. Just people are. The world has changed too much. However, yeah, Catholics still make up a huge percentage of the world population. And every one of those Catholics is is committed to the Pope at some level, you know, whether it's just by tacit agreement or whether they actually actively obey everything he says. As part of the Catholic Church, you are supposed to. And um, you're... His words are should be treated the same as God's words directly to you. But the truth is that no, they're not they're not as powerful. But by the sheer size of the infrastructure that they're in charge of, they still certainly have 
influence in clout. Yeah. Um, moving on, the third thing I found was on Barna Group, and it you know Barna Group does all these studies and gathers numbers and whatnot, and it uh, there is a study they did on how pastors plan to improve their churches. Um, have you read that before? Mm-mm, no. Just to read an excerpt of it. Today's organizations face pressures to stay current, efficient, and relevant. This is especially true for nonprofit organizations like churches. A new Barner Group study examined how pastors of Protestant churches plan to improve the strategic, operational, and administrative aspects of their ministries. The nationwide research project was conducted by asking pastors in what ways they are likely to improve their churches in the next year. Respondents were presented with 12 possible activities and asked to rate the priority of each activity. Many, though, many, though not all, of these 12 activities related to getting assistance, expertise, or resource from organizations outside the church. Assessing, looking at the big picture of the research findings, pastors revealed that assessment was a significant strategic priority of today's faith leader. Of the dozen priorities examined in the study, pastors are most interested in getting clarity about their organization's vision and mission. In all, 59% said they were definitely going to, or that they were quote, definitely going to assess your church's vision and mission in the next year. Out of the 12 improvement priorities assessed in the study, this easily ranked as highest. Pastors also rated other forms of assessment higher than they did other priorities. This included assessing their church's reputation in the community, 38%, and measuring demographic and spiritual needs of their community, 31%. These ranked two and three out of the dozen priorities. Overall, the sixth-ranked priority was conducting an assessment of spiritual transformation in your church, noted by 22% of pastors. The size of the church often plays a role in the pastor's priorities, but not as much as one might expect. Among churches with fewer than 100 adult attenders, most of the dozen priorities were equal importance to those of the large church leaders, yet small church pastors were less inclined to want community demographics, less focused on safety and security issues, less likely to change budgeting, and less inclined to invest in technology. Mid-sized churches were more likely than average to plan on investing in equipment for children, youth, and teenagers, as well as upgrading their audio and visual tools. Large churches, 251 plus, were more likely than average to want to measure demographics, revamp financial processes, and work with fundraising consultants. These leaders were less inclined than average to purchase audiovisual equipment, perhaps figuring that their current set of tools are adequate for now. Some differences were found by age of the pastor as well. Pastors under 45 were more interested than average in technology and digital media, while those between the ages of 45 and 63 expressed above average interest in fundraising help. Pastors who are 64 and older were higher than their peers when it came to measuring spiritual transformation. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, just the breakdown of the ages of pastors and the, and the, the size of the church. And, uh, and to see uh, to call a, a large church anything over 251 too I, those are the real numbers but we sometimes forget that <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
I couldn't help but think he was saying how much large church pastors were focused on what the community thought of them, basically, and how small church pastors didn't think that um, or as much of that. I don't know. I thought that was interesting that a large church would be different in thinking. The One of the best things that I was taught by a pastor that I respect when it came to these kind of assessments is just to know that the way that you pastor a small church is not the same as the way that you pastor a large church. You know, the needs and the requirements change depending on the number of people that are involved and, um, and so on. And I always thought that's, that's good because what he was saying was, you know, you can't, one, you can't, shouldn't second guess decisions that are made based upon the size if you don't, you know, if you don't have the same reference, the same frame of, of reference. And it's okay to pastor differently, to assess your needs differently, depending on how, how large you are. I mean, the logistics of, of a church of, say, a thousand people is totally different than a church of, of 50 people. So there are some things that have to change. But it's also true that the larger you get, the more focused you become on facility and money as an as a necessary need to support the large network of people that are associated with you. And then as a small church, it's the financial needs can be pressing. I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. Hmm. Um, budgeting um, to revamp. They asked, you know, all the different sized churches and everybody. You know, uh, church improvement priorities by size, revamping your budgeting and spending process. Small churches were below average and wanting to look at that process, and large churches were above average. You know, but that makes sense because if we have to change our budget, it takes us half an hour to talk about it and make a change. Mm -hmm. If a large church has to change their budget, somebody might lose their job because of it. And the number one thing everybody looked at and definitely probably said they would do is assess your church's vision and mission. I know there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah. The article's huge and it's kind of hard to pick and, pick and choose different things to look at. But I do want to talk about, because I think there's a huge pressure on, pressure on pastors uh, of different denominations on to grow your church and what have you done for me lately. Right. Um, and, um, you know, whether it be the size of your church, the impact of your church, baptisms, whatever. Um, whatever you choose to measure things by. Right. And there's always some, I mean, speak, we were talking about, I used to work at University of Phoenix, and they've had a huge problem um, over their whole, you know, lifespan of how to, I was an enrollment counselor, how do you grade enrollment? How do you... Um, how do you uh, compensate our enrollment counselors? Do you 
do you grade them on how many people they get into school? And for a long time, that's what they did. They compensated you on that. And if you got a lot of people, and just like cars or anything else, if you got a lot of people into school, you made a, you made a lot of money. If you didn't get a lot of people into school, you can get fired real quick. You could spend three years of just being the number one guy, but if you have six months of being the top or the, the down person, the, the worst person, you could lose your job. Mm. You know, And it's all, what have you done for me today? Not not big picture and <coughs> no it's all about what what have you done for me today and as soon there was a there was a law that was passed and it was basically saying that you could not no longer include enrollments in the compensation of enrollment advisors because they had a big problem of enrollment advisors being too pushy and sure, probably breaking the rules a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because they wanted to enroll as many people as possible. And ever since then, it's pretty much killed the company. And that, and we're looking at it's probably been three or four years since it's happened. And pretty much everybody I know there has been laid off since. Uh, they're running into all sorts of problems and. And sales went extremely down. They had layoff, and it's 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 pretty much affected the entire company. That simple fact that they could not compensate on enrollments anymore it changed the entire company, and it may not be a company no mm. longer. You know, they, I don't know how long the bill lasts. Yeah. Um, and I feel like churches, in an indirect way, kind of one of those things. You almost know that. No, no, but you would think maybe this, there's superiors out there that wish that they could grade you on the people that you brought in, you know. Uh, well, it, I think there's maybe. a fear I'm not saying our denomination, but yeah. there has been a time and a place where people know, I mean, that well, I wish we can just rank pastors on what they can get through the door. That's all that matters. You know, how many people can we get to sit down? Well, A, I think that that is a natural way that people do assess churches. And I happen to think that it's not the correct way, but it's very natural to do that. And B, I think there's a fear, there can be a fear in some circles because of our almost like innate cultural pressure that there is a fear that we are going to be measured that way and assessed that way because of how easy it is in a consumeristic society such as the one that we live in, where our church culture has really sold out to um, business models as the one and only operating scheme for a church. You know, when you combine those two factors, which I think has definitely happened in the last 30 years, there is an innate pressure and a large amount of pressure on a pastor. Um, to be a successful entrepreneur in the kingdom of God mm -hmm. when it comes to their church. I happen to think the whole system is nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I could say it, you know, on a louder scale, a louder platform. Um, cause I know that there are other pastors out there that would appreciate somebody saying we're, we're not measuring things by the correct numbers, by the correct, um, figures. You know, the truth, and the, the, I remember learning about something called the proxy fallacy, which is that when you are in a business or an industry um, where the results are difficult to measure, and church certainly fits into that category because most of the results are internal, not external, you know, and they're hard to quantify. 
the the fallacy is that you substitute a number, a measurement for whatever it is that you're trying to gauge. Like really our our goal is to see people becoming stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. But that's almost impossible to measure in people's lives because it's very subjective process. Mm-hmm. So instead what we do is we substitute something that that we think is a close approximation to it. So how many people have you led to the Lord? That would be one proxy for your the success of your discipleship. Um, how many hours have you spent in prayer? How many people d- did you invite to church? You know, those we use these things because we want we're trying to figure out how to quantify something that is inherently unquantifiable. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a I think it's a huge fallacy, a huge mistake that we have bought into. Um, because what you end up doing then is measuring those proxies instead of those giving you some insight on what you want, they become the sole purpose of the church is to, is to increase those, those proxy numbers. But because they're not measuring the actual thing that you want, you end up being focused on the wrong, the wrong goal, the wrong idea, the wrong number. Does that make sense? And I think the, I think the church as a whole in America is deeply mired in this, in this wrong framework right now. Then what's, and that's definitely what the problem is. What's the solution? Do you think? The solution is for everybody to relax a little bit. <laughs> Chill out. Chill out. Exactly. Honestly, it is. The solution is to have leaders develop a different measure, a different philosophy, a different idea. Um, The biblical images of leadership, although there are kings and and so on, more often the pastoral role, even by its very name of pastoral, invokes images more of shepherding and of caretaking. Mm -hmm. And we've allowed that, that word to become a business term almost Mm -hmm. a corporate title and the truth is we need people that um, can accomplish the role in which they were called to which was is more of a caretaking type philosophy Um, I think individually every person needs to figure out what exactly God is calling them to do and be confident that when they know that what God is is saying to them, that they do that. Because part of this whole process is that we only really have one thing that we teach people to do, which is to drag more people to church. But the, the reality of Christian life is so much more diverse than that. We have to just break the thinking. What we need is a paradigm shift where we actually change our thinking, we change our approach, we change our measurements, we no longer look to these outward things. And I think where you start with that is the leadership, Um, because I think the people are a a representation of what they've been shown. Correct. And so even if it's said or unsaid or complied or unimplied, if leadership requires, and I'm talking your boss, your boss's boss, you know, you go up the line of any denomination, there's always usually somebody in charge. Not always, but more than likely. Um, and that person, you know, is that person a bean counter? Are they counting every 
butt in the seat or they count or they have charts and graphs showing you how you're going up or how you're going down how are they grading you you know and then your congregation they knows if you're they know if you're being graded or not they may not know the numbers and where you're at but they may they may know you're, you're they know you have a boss and your boss has a boss and how's that's going and what they're looking for and i think if leadership would change the culture that eventually the people would change their their understanding yeah you know because we all it's a control thing we all and it's and you really can put no fault on it because it's the way the businesses run entrepreneurship and you know in order to grow you need to have control over everything and um it doesn't work that way in ministry you know right and it's hard for people to let go of that, you know. Absolutely, because those that bought into it back in the 80s and 90s are now the ones that are in charge in the positions of selecting, you know, the future leaders and training the future leaders. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, it's not a problem that's going to disappear overnight by any means. Um, and it's there's very much a a link to the American psyche, though, too, of the American dream of materialism, of the acquiring of things being the proof of the of the work that's been put into it. The proof of the value of the work is in acquisition. You know, and there's there's some psychological ties to that type of thinking that it's very difficult to break people from because of how they've grown up and how they've been trained. But I would say that the kingdom of God doesn't operate on such principles, even as noble as the, the concept of the American dream is. It's not a biblical principle. It's, an, you know, it's a political principle, philosophical principle. So I, there's, there's all kinds of problems. And so what I, I would guess what is most likely to change the church would be that the American church no longer sets the agenda and that we begin to listen to voices from other cultures that operate differently and allow them to influence us. My, you know, I can, I could see that happening in the, in the near future. Um, but it's a problem for me. Like, uh, I've been talking to our church council because they're a new council. They, we had a debate over what the, the mission and the vision for the church was. And at some level, I don't even ascribe to the necessity for a church to have a mission and a vision, because I believe that the new Testament clearly spells out what the mission of every believer should be and what the goal of every believer should be. And then somehow we've got that confused with a statement or a concept that is specific to us. And I think that the implementation of discipleship, of, of evangelism, of the mission of the church, the implementation should be unique to every group of believers. But the overall goals should be the same. It should be the kingdom of God. It should be glorifying the name of Jesus. You know, there's... So I, I debated with our council about what the vision for our church actually is. And while I believe in growth, and I believe that when God is involved, things will grow, I, I try very hard to not mentally assume that that growth is going to be in specific measurable ways that we can quantify, like the fact that we accumulate more people. What if we grow by 
the church growing larger and training up leaders and sending them out into the field to, to accomplish, you know, church planting or something else. And then our church recovers from, from that by increasing our membership. So you, I could theoretically see how our membership could stay the exact same average from year to year, but there could have been significant growth that happened as a result of it. But people don't know how to plan for that or measure that. They want to accumulate more for themselves.